Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and you know something Eric? I'm um, I'm certainly becoming more absent-minded as I age but even so I was I was struggling to put my finger on just what exactly it was that was missing when I woke up on Sunday morning. Was it my reading glasses perhaps? My phone? My copy of Easy Recipes from Rajput Tana? No, it was worse than that, Eric. It was time. Mm. I was missing time. While I slept, time was taken from me. <laughs> I have precious uh, little enough left of as, as it is and I can ill afford to lose any more. But a full hour was taken from me while I slept. And as a consequence, Eric, I am a grouch. <laughs> So, so you're saying you have an excuse for being a grouch this week, <laughs> right? This exactly. Week, the, the bottom line there. It's a, it's, I'm just too tired to offer up much detail about it. Right. Okay. But, Understood. Well, I'm feeling the same way. This uh, this daylight savings time, man. They they get you coming and they get you going. That's right. Um, I, I'm thinking if Tulsi Gabbard comes out as the only candidate who will ban daylight savings time, she can make a late charge in this race. I think this uh, is all very veep. <laughs> Have did they do this on Veep? Am yes. I forgetting? Oh, yes. oh well. Jonah wait. Ryan. Wait, no, that's a show that's on a network that doesn't exist. Oh, that's right. I've never heard of that network or that show. Good yeah. point. No, no, no sense delving into details on this fictional show you've made up <laughs> in this create that creative mind of yours. Well, it was a dream that I didn't get to finish because I had to wake up earlier than planned. There you go. That's right. Uh, oh. But I, I do feel like the uh, the anti daylight savings time thing that that is the one issue that unites all of us. Nobody likes daylight savings time. It is the Adrian Broner of time manipulation. <laughs> mm, possibly. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to find further analogies there and it's just, it's just not. <laughs> Adrian Broner is the daylight savings time of boxing would be another way to right. look at it, depending on what perspective you want to take. But uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, I'll tell you this, though. Mm -hmm. Because of the disruption caused by losing that hour of sleep, we will not now be bringing you the contests, prizes, and bunnies that I promised at the end of last week's <laughs> podcast. Right. Blame they were all lined up to time. go. Yes, exactly. But we will have Al Bernstein. And he's a lovely fellow, and he's almost as good as a basket of bunnies. Everybody loves Al Bernstein. <laughs> well, except, actually, Adrian Bronner. Well, so I, there you I, go. There's some irony for you. Yeah, there you go. But first, let's try and get this thing back on track. Uh, it is fight card preview time. Uh, Showbox, the new generation, returns this Friday, March 13th, from Hinkley, Minnesota. Of course it does. Uh, with a quadruple header beginning at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Uh, in the opener... King Dago Aguero faces Aram, Billy the Warrior of Agian. Of course he's called Billy the Warrior. <laughs> um, over eight rounds of featherweight action, followed by a scheduled lightweight eight-rounder between Alejandro Porkchop Guerrero and Jose El Feroz Angulo. Uh, the co-main sees another eight-rounder, uh, this one in the welterweight division, as Brian the Assassin Norman Jr. takes on Flavio Rodriguez. And in the main event, showbox veteran and early rounds knockout artist Brandon Lee puts his undefeated record up against Camilo Prieto in a super lightweight contest that is scheduled for 10 rounds, but which, uh, Eric, history suggests is not necessarily likely to need all of those rounds. 
indeed. History does suggest that uh, you called Lee an early rounds knockout artist, uh, and if anything, that understates the case. Lee is 18-0 and with 16 KOs, and of those 16 KOs, just two have taken place later than the second round. His last nine fights include seven first-round stoppages and two in the second, one of which we saw on Showbox in September when he took out Milton Arauz with a single right hand at the end of the second round. So we've seen Lee a little bit on Showtime. Is he as good as his record suggests, or is it simply a factor of quality of opposition? And is there anything in Prieto's background to suggest he may have what it takes to take Lee beyond the first couple of rounds or, or perhaps even be the first person to extend him a, as deep as the fifth round. So it's hard to say at this point exactly how good he is. I mean, the eye test, uh, which is often what we're relying on to some extent when we're this early in a fighter's career, it suggests to me certainly that he's got tremendous potential. It's not just look, it's obvious that he has power, but it's the way he delivers uh, those punches um, that, that really catch the eye. He's pretty economical. Uh, his punches are straight. They're not any longer than they need to be. Uh, and when he has somebody hurt, if he hits them and they don't go down, uh, I really like the way then he positions himself to to, to sort of finish the job. Um, his combinations are really on point. He doesn't waste punches. Um, he, he, he uses his feet to get himself into a really good position and throws generally some pretty sharp, swift combinations with with great variety in his punches um his balance is excellent he's nice and compact um he is only 20 years old but you know you asked about his opposition um his previous two outings were the only two so far in which he's faced an opponent with a winning record uh he so this is going to be three in a row now against Pareto a sign that he is um you know probably ready even at his young age and with relatively few fights for tougher competition um that said, I don't know that there's too much to suggest that Pareto is that tough a competition. Uh, he's 33 years old. He, uh, even at 33, he's just a five-year pro. Here's the thing. Ten of Prieto's 15 wins and one of his two defeats have been against opponents with not one single win on their record. Um so he's got good experience in his corner uh, for the last year and a half or so. His trainer's been former light heavyweight champ Glenn Johnson. Um, he claims he's never been knocked down or cut, but boy, it really feels like even the inexperienced uh, Lee is a major step up in opposition for him here. Yeah, it, it's so hard to know what's what with either of these guys. Lee, because right. he keeps wiping guys out too quickly to learn much, and Prieto, yeah. because he's faced such an awful collection of opposition to this point. But even in just those six minutes that we saw him last time, I did note that Lee looks awfully vulnerable to the left hook. So that at least gives me something to look for here in terms of improvement from him and, and maybe gives Prieto something to look for in terms of an opening. Um, before we get to the rest of the card, let's uh, let's go ahead and make our picks for the main event. As a reminder, you are leading 22 to 18. Although uh, Steve Weitzfeld has it closer, I'm only down by two points on his card, so I'm going with <laughs> which that. Which is obviously correct. So exactly. Yes. Um, it is your turn to pick first, Kieran. What's your prediction for Brandon Lee, Camilo Prieto? I'm I'm going to be fairly brief for a change about this. Uh, okay. I'm going to go with Brandon Lee, and I'm going to go with Brandon Lee by knockout. Uh, Prieto just simply does not appear to have had the experience, the quality of the opposition, uh, or anything to suggest that uh, he is in Lee's class. And the only real issue is when this knockout is going to occur. Um, you know, uh, 
he has been on a KO one streak, uh, as you mentioned. Um, but it's all oh boy. It's it's sure it's hard to go out there and predict a KO one. Um, but I honestly don't know that it's going to be much more competitive than that. I will give Prieto a shot of making it into round two, and I think that Brandon Lee's second appearance on Showtime will be his second KO two. All right, huge disagreement here. Monstrous. <laughs> disagreement uh I, I watched as much footage of prieto as i could and he seems sturdy throws his punches well jabs nicely to both the head and the body and his hands are reasonably fast though not compared to lee i think just compared to the guys i saw him in with and and i think some of what i'm seeing him appear to do well in general is just because his opposition is, is that bad um I'm not going to say Brandon Lee is a for sure blue chipper, but he at least has the look of a potential blue chipper. And like you, I don't see how Prieto provides much resistance, but Prieto has never been stopped. It would make at least a small statement if Lee got him out of there inside four or five rounds. Uh, and I do think he will. I think his power is legit. I'm going to say not quite as fast as you're predicting. Uh, I think he will overwhelm Prieto, and I'm going with Lee KO three. Wow. Hey, who knows? Massive. that Which round it is. Could If, if it's one of those right? two rounds, one of us is gaining three points on the other. That's right. That's right. That's right. Watch it be a KO1 now. <laughs> or a decision. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, the rest of the card features three scheduled eight-rounders. Uh, two of them do look to have uh, fairly clear A-sides. Uh, Brian Norman Jr. is 16-0 with 14 KOs and one no contest, while his opponent, Flavio Rodriguez, is 9-1-1 with seven KOs, uh, while Alejandro Guerrero brings a record of 11-0 with nine KOs into his matchup with Jose Angulo, who is 12-1 with five KOs. Uh, the opener figures to be perhaps a bit more of a typical showbox bow, uh, although one boxer clearly has more experience than the other. Uh, Dago Aguero 17-0 with 11 KOs, while the Sugar Hill steward-trained Aram Avagian is 9-0-1 with four stoppages. Uh, Eric, any individual boxer or matchup particularly stand out to you? Is there anyone or anything you're particularly looking forward to seeing here? Yeah, the opener between Aguero and Avagian does stand out as the best matchup on paper, not only because it could go either way, although I think I favor Avagian, um, but also because Avagian is an aggressive fighter with a fan-friendly style, as Sugar Hill Steward-trained cronk fighters tend to be. Yeah. Um, Norman intrigues me, but he's been moved extremely cautiously to this point. Uh, and his opponent, Rodriguez, is an interesting story. He turned pro in 2010 and had one fight and then didn't fight again for more than five years because his family needed money. So he had to put boxing on the back burner and get a full-time job. And at one point he weighed as much as 230 pounds. Uh, that's a lot for a five foot seven inch wow. welterweight. Um, and then uh, Guerrero against Angulo. I'm maybe least interested in this fight of the four on the card. Guerrero doesn't scream elite prospect, uh, and Angulo has faced quite the collection of non-entities. Uh, but Guerrero, as you mentioned at the top, is nicknamed Porkchop, a nickname that I last heard as a 12-year-old watching Saturday morning wrestling when Porkchop Cash was one of the WWF jobbers. <laughs> and I remember he lost to someone, and Gorilla Monsoon said, stick a fork in the pork chop. And that really stuck with me. So uh, for nostalgia purposes, I will tune in for Pork Chop Guerrero. Again, Kieran, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You won't get this kind of analysis exactly. of the sweet science anywhere else. 
the the yeah hashtag analysis was going through my mind at that, <laughs> that, at that very moment. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, the opener does look like it's the the more intriguing contest. Two guys, both with pretty decent amateur careers, um, and their pro careers have been sort of fits and starts. Um, you know, both have had spells of fighting fairly frequently, uh, and then spells of inactivity, and both of them are coming off a ten month layoff. Uh, you sort of look at the records and you think that maybe. Aguero looks as if maybe he's the slightly more blue chip guy, but I agree with you. Um, you look at Avagian, I mean, his last two wins have been against previously undefeated opponents. Mm-hmm. He's a nominal righty, but he can switch it up. He's got that fan friendly style. Um, yeah, and he might be a decent bet for what may or may not be a, a mild upset. I, I would also somewhat uh, go towards Avagian there. Okay. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the shed? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. So uh, Showtime isn't easing up on the busy pace it's been setting for 2020. Uh, two weeks after the just-previewed Showbox show, Mauro Ronaldo and Paulie Malinaji will be sitting ringside for a Showtime boxing special edition in Las Vegas. And they will, of course, be sitting alongside International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, former fill-in Showtime boxing podcast co-host, and this week's guest, the one and only Al Bernstein. Al, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, and uh, I don't know, you put those in the wrong order. Shouldn't the uh, former fill-in podcast host been the very first thing you mentioned? That is the <laughs> highlight true. of my career. It's true. Well, I just didn't want to go immediately downhill from that, Al. Well, you know, I just have to say, that's, you know, that's, I think that's the highlight, so we should, <laughs> we should lead off with that. <laughs> he, you were in the Hall of Fame even before you co-hosted uh, the Showtime podcast, so the, I, w- I would just say there's a case for some other career highlights. Right. right. Well, it's possible, although, let's face it, it's an upset I got in without having co-hosted the podcast. Uh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> so, it would have put, you, it would have put you over the edge. Had, you know, had there been any doubt, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, hey, um, before we get to uh, talking about that upcoming Showtime show, uh, let's talk a little bit of heavyweights and obviously the big news still from the last few weeks. A uh, couple weeks now since the rematch between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, but uh, still a lot of talk about it. Look, you called the first fight between these two. You've been ringside for a good many Deontay fights. Given how that first fight unfolded, and given how Wilder normally performs, how surprised were you by the rematch? You know, not just by the result, but by the way both men fought. Yeah, very, very surprised at the way he fought. You know, he said in advance that he was going to do that. But I think we all thought he was saying that just as a way to promote the fight and, um, you know, perhaps to try and try and uh, get it to Deontay Wilder's head or something. Um, no one really expected him to do that. Then when we saw the extra weight, I think I was one of those people that said, I don't know if this is a good idea if you have to box, but of course he didn't box. And so, yeah, I was very extremely surprising that he was able to do that. And of course he did it uh, to perfection. Yeah. Uh, now your broadcast colleague, Polly Malinaji has been 
uh, fairly critical of Wilder since the fight. Uh, he argued in one interview that the public excuse making that Wilder did afterward shows that he needs somebody around him who can tell him no and that he doesn't have that person. And on top of that, uh, Paulie said that Wilder had tried to get him removed from his commentary position after some critical comments he made about the scoring of that first bout with Fury. And we all know that Wilder was critical of, of Steve Farhood for scoring for Fury also. So I'm curious, Al, what are your feelings on on fighters getting upset about how the broadcasters call the fight? And, and have you had to deal with it much in your career? Well, honestly, I haven't had... Um... I'd be lying if I said there was never a boxer that didn't disagree with something I might've said. Um, but I, I have to say, I, I don't, I don't ever remember, um, you know, being something that I thought was, had reached some level of crisis or in any way impaired my relationship with fighters. There were a couple of fighters who even in the fighter meetings would you know, later when you did a fighter meeting with them, might take issue with something you said or did. Right. Yeah, that, you know, fighters have a right to speak their mind. Right. And, uh, um, you know, I don't have any. The, the other part that Tolly talked about, I have no no uh, comment or, ex, or expertise on, on that in any way, shape, or form. But as far as, you know, fighters having, you know, they're, they have every right to, to say what they think about uh, what they perceive the broadcaster to have said. And again, I, I didn't run into that very much. I haven't run into it much. So right. uh, on rare occasions, that'll happen. Right. Mm -hmm. you, so you certainly haven't had to deal with anything close to a fighter saying he doesn't want you calling his fights or, or anything like that. Not to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, if it happened, I didn't know about it. Right. So, uh, but I, I don't, you know, I don't, and I, yeah, I, I just have never had that kind of um, situation. I've had a couple people that, you know, would later in a fighter meeting take issue and say, you know, I think you, you said this, and I, I don't know if I'm on board with that. Uh, once in a while, not too often, but, you know, occasionally. And, you know, we live in uh, times now where I, I, the question, I guess, and this is a broader question, is how much do your know, boxing is a little different than other sports in some ways, um, and how much do boxers feel like whatever platform they are um, connected with, how much of a quote-unquote partner do they feel mm. those two entities are? Right. Uh, it's, it's a broad question, and, and because of that, uh, they may feel that, you know, uh, that there's a certain, uh, I don't know, editorial kind of lack of objectivity that is required right. Um you know, and, and, and I don't know if that's true of all fighters. I found, I will say this, and I, I found over the years that the best way for everyone to not be mad at you as a broadcaster, this is my feeling, and I'm, I have strong feelings about this, is to approach everything you do with, you're, you're certainly, some people are going to feel like you've, 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 from time to time, like you didn't highlight their things well enough, or you may have been critical of this or that. But if you stay in the lane where you're being as informational as you can be and giving insight rather than everything you say is an opinion, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and you present it fairly, I believe that every, and I know this, this, some people don't believe this, and some people find this to be objectionable in a certain way. I believe you can make everybody feel okay about it. 
whether everyone is thoroughly happy, I don't know, but you can make people not um, have, you know, wild swings back and forth about what you've done. Right. Mm. In this day and age of, uh, you know, um, social media, that approach is mm. tested more than it ever was before. Right, right. Somebody else who might end up, um, you know, probably coming for a little bit of criticism in the build-up to his fight, uh, certainly, is the guy who's the sort of headliner of the March 28th Showtime boxing card at Park Gym in Las Vegas. That's Luis Neri, who's fighting Aaron Alameda. Um, Neri's an interesting case, isn't he? Because he's undefeated, he's clearly talented, but he tested positive for a PED after a win in Japan. Uh, then he was stripped of his 118-pound title prior to the rematch after weighing in far above the limit. And he's since been banned for life by the Japanese Boxing Commission for those twin the transgressions, which is kind of amazing. He missed weight again last year for uh, a scheduled bout against Emmanuel Rodriguez, which got canceled. Um, does there come a point where, as talented as he clearly is, he ought to be running out of chances if he's not you know, going to do what he needs to do in terms of being as professional as possible here. Yeah, we've seen this before, you know, this, this where um, athletes in many sports and certainly boxers, you know, they're, they're so talented and they offer such promise that we tend to look the other way a little bit, you know, overall organizations do and the media does and everyone does the people that are putting on their fights. You, you feel like they deserve chances to show us that they can uh, provide that talent for whatever sport it is. We certainly know cases in football and basketball um, and baseball where this has been the case and, and boxing as well. Um, and you do reach a point though, clearly you're, or should where you, you are accountable. And he's one of those interesting cases where he needs for some things to go extraordinarily right. He needs mm -hmm. to be ready for that March fight. He needs to be on weight. He needs to make sure he doesn't test badly. He needs to make sure it's all good. And, and I think in some ways that makes that fight extraordinarily important for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on that same card, the, the co-main event uh, has a, a change from what was originally scheduled. Uh, it's still a heavyweight bout, uh, and one combatant is still Lucas Brown, but his scheduled opponent, Otto Valine, pulled out with an injury and has been replaced by Opti Daptaev. Uh, I have a two-part question here for you, Al. Uh, is Valine ever mm -hmm. going to catch a break when it comes to fighting on Showtime? Um, and <laughs> with, with, with Daptaev in there against Brown... Is this actually a better fight than it would have been with Valine, who certainly, based on his yeah. showing against Tyson Fury, would have been a significant favorite against Brown? Yeah, that's interesting. It, uh, probably that might, just to answer your second question first, mm -hmm. that might exactly be the case. Because uh, Valine, uh, you know, uh, I thought he fought pretty well against Tyson Fury. And, yeah. uh, and, and he would have been the favorite against Brown. And, and maybe more of a favorite, somebody would have said, well, you know, he was the A side, the other guy was the B side, and we're not sure it's going to be great. This is a, this will be a war. This will be brutal war. <laughs> they, mm -hmm. will, they will blast away at each other, and they will... I think they will create one of those heavyweight moments like we had this past uh, Saturday night or last night, you know, with, um, uh, you know, Hellenius. Right. Um, and, and yeah, where, you know, we, we had some heavyweight fireworks. And uh, as far as Valine is concerned, yeah, he's had um, a run of bad luck as it relates to <laughs> fighting on Showtime. And hopefully, you know, that changes because I do want to see him. And I think, I think he's kind of starting to, 
make believers of people that he can be some kind of force in the heavyweight division. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think between us all, we've done so much prep for this fighter who's who's managed about three minutes of actual boxing on Showtime. So uh, after all of this, getting to know him, it would be nice to actually have a fight with him on the, on the network. Yes, it would be nice to actually see him step in the ring. You are, you are correct, sir. <laughs> Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, and the opener on this card uh, is a rematch between light heavyweights Joseph George and Marcus Escudero. Uh, George scored a split decision win in their first fight on Showbox uh, last November. Um, any reasons do you think to suspect that the rematch is, is likely to unfold any differently? This was also a pretty exciting fight first time around. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good fight. Yeah, whether the, the, the results up being different, I don't know. But I know these two men are 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 very likely if when they step in a ring to make it a really interesting and fascinating fight. And that's the part that, you know, obviously is the most uh, important in my opinion and, and the part that makes it most interesting. And uh, we'll see if it could unfold differently, but, but I do think it's going to be exciting. And I think it's going to be really interesting. And I, I, I think the Alameda Neary fight is also going to be a pretty good one. I think the heavyweights, though they will mm-hmm. not make us forget Muhammad Ali and, uh, <laughs> Lennox Lewis, you know, in terms of uh, a, an amazing skill set, I think they will be fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, should should be should be a solid card. Um, but before that, uh, that March twenty eighth card this Friday, we have Showbox returning with a card headlined by young prospect Brandon Lee. Uh, Kieran and I were just talking yeah. about the fact that Lee certainly looks like the goods with early knockout after early knockout. Yeah, but. Uh, how, how difficult is it to bring a guy on and move him up and get him experience and rounds when he keeps scoring early knockouts? Like, like can can huge yeah. power be kind of a curse for a prospect in terms of his development? Uh, absolutely. That's a very good question, and it's a, an important one um, because it, it is kind of a curse because what happens is you might knock somebody out that's supposed to give you five or six rounds. I just, the other night, last night, I did a, uh, a, a little pay-per-view show in which uh, um, Evander Holyfield's son, Evan Holyfield, who's mm-hmm. now 4-0, right. faced a fighter from Oregon who was tough as nails and, and had some skill set. He kills himself. Holyfield had knocked his first three opponents out. He couldn't knock this guy out. So what happened is for four rounds, he faced a challenge. Right. And that was good. <laughs> you know, that was good for him. And so um, it was on a slightly different level than where Lee is at, of course, but but when you're knocking people out early, you don't sometimes get those fights that you need. Uh, and also, you eliminate people knowing whether that opponent was, in fact, how good was that opponent, how good was he for you. Um, and, of course, you know, you want to knock people out if you can. Uh, so, but it's, it's a difficult thing. I like Brandon Lee. I mean, I think he's a really, really good young fighter. And, uh, you know, to me, he is somebody that, you know, you, we really, really want to see, uh, you know, the boxing fans wants to see how he develops. Yeah. Yeah. So amazingly, I, I can't believe how fast time goes these days, but such is life. Uh, we are getting on for one quarter of the way through 2020 already. And, and it's been a pretty good year. We've had some big fights, including yeah. 
you know, Fury Wilder, as we discussed. So, but with nine and a bit months still to go, here's a free hit for you. What is the fight you most want to see on any Ooh. network between now and the end of the year? And what are you really hoping for for show from Showtime between now and the end of the year? They might be well, the same answer. You know, you made, but... Yeah, yeah. You made, you made the point that, um, you know, we're a couple of months in and it's been a very good beginning. Last year, I think we can all agree, fell a little short for boxing from where mm. we wanted it to be. Overall, it just didn't, it didn't quite get where it's supposed to be. This year looked good for Ngetko, and it, and it has been good. And the last, the next eight weeks have some amazing fights. And we already saw a beginning to that with uh, uh, Vargas and uh, uh, Garcia and then right. Chocolatito uh, in yeah. his great fight. That was a very exciting fight. Um, so I, as far as fights that I would love to see, I mean, I, this is going to be painfully obvious. But, and I probably wouldn't happen till it probably won't happen this year. But at the end of the day, I think one of those fights that boxing fans, if they don't ever get to see it, are going. it's going to feel like Pacquiao Mayweather did as a burden on the sport. And that's Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. Yeah. And I don't know. I say it trep, with trepidation because we don't even know how good Errol Spence will be when he comes back, right? right. Um, so it, it's almost presumptuous to talk about Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. And yet, my point is, you know, we're all, you know, I'm kind of a barometer uh, or a, for how boxing fans feel. So when they come up to me and they ask a, a thing over and over again, that tells me it's on their minds. This is on their minds. You know, they, they wonder about this, you know. So, you know, it would be nice. Uh, for Showtime, I, part of what I hope happens here in 2020 is that we, that we get some really good, uh, exciting competitive matches and we we've gotten off to a, de a good start. And I, I think March is going to be good as well. Um, and uh, a, a, you know, for that fight and we've got Benavides coming up and some other mm -hmm. uh, matches on the horizon. And I just, I want really fun competitive boxing. And I think some of the matches we have coming up should provide that. And I think that's what the, you know, subscribers to the uh, channel want. And uh, that's what boxing fans want. And, and boxing this year already has started to have that. And, uh, and I, I, I'm a big believer. I'm not po uh, looking at it through rose-colored glasses. I actually think this year is going to end up being one of those years that we look back at and say, wow, there was a lot of good fights. Wow. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Um, so uh, final uh, topic here, Al, something a, a little different. We've mentioned in your previous appearances on the podcast that you have a, a second career as a crooner of classics at a number of venues in Vegas and elsewhere. Uh, I know you're at I know you're at the Tuscany a lot. Uh, any other performances coming up? Like wh where might our listeners in Las Vegas catch you over the coming weeks or months? Well, I, one place they'll see me mo many Friday nights is I, I go in and uh, I will sit in on the Kenny Davidson show at the Tuscany. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do that a lot. Uh, I'm going to probably perform next. I think it's going to be, uh, I don't know what that Saturday, uh, Friday is, April 23rd or 24th. Um, the, in that area, I'm going to be uh, co-hosting with Kenny on his show. Uh, I believe it's April 24th. Yep, I'm uh, looking at a calendar. Uh, 24th is a Friday. Yeah, yep. that's the that's the uh, the NFL draft is. The, we try and tie. I usually try and tie in performances with some other either boxing event or something. And the NFL draft 
is going to be here in Las Vegas during that weekend. So, you know, it'll be fun because a lot of the media people and folks can come over and, and see it. And uh, it should be enjoyable. I might, I might also, it was a choice between that or doing it right when the Canelo fight was shortly after that. But um, I think that's probably when we're going to do it. And uh, we got to get you guys out to a show. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, that'll give me validation if I get you guys there. There you go. As, as long, or as the l- end of your career, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be, yeah. As long as you don't try to bring us up on stage, I think uh, that that might yes. be a, a no. big mistake. No, I was that is I probably won't do that, but I might <laughs> but I could well introduce you from the audience. I you know, okay. I, I might do. I might force some attention your way. I take right. that, um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and label you the the best singing boxing broadcaster of all time. I, if if I did that, if I put you at number one, I'm curious. Do you have a pick for number two on that list? Any any broadcast mates of yours over the years who could carry a tune? Well, I will tell you about. A, uh, I don't know about boxing, but Terry Bradshaw is a very fine vocalist, and okay. Terry does oh, a I show that, that he's done here in Vegas. And when back in the day when Terry released a couple of country albums, and I was just with, I just saw Terry. He did his show, and in, in fact, he did a show at the Luxor the same night I was doing a show, and uh, and I went to his uh, his show the night before, uh, but he did the weekend. And Terry's a, very, a good country singer, still is, and mm-hmm. he's got a show that he weaves stories in and whatever. But Terry, Terry would be the uh, you know, uh, I, I think the two of us probably are carrying the mantle for sportscasters. The <laughs> other gentleman who's a terrific singer who hasn't been a sportscaster for a long time but was is Roy Firestone, who's very good. Oh, that's ah. right. Okay. I don't know that I knew he could sing. Okay. Oh, he's a great singer and a great imp- a singing impressionist as well. Hmm. So um, so I would put, you know, uh, probably I don't know of too many other sportscasters that have done music. So uh, maybe they have, but I'm not I'm not aware of them. So uh, we're a select small group. Yeah. So I think so. I think the Mount Rushmore then is is uh, Al Bernstein, <laughs> Terry Bradshaw, Roy Firestone, and uh, because of he because he released a rap album, we'll put Roy Jones on there. What do you think? There you go. We'll throw him <laughs> up there. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you hey, know uh, what? Now Joe Frazier and Larry oh, Holmes yes. had musical groups back in the day. True. Um, but uh, you know, I won't. And Oscar De La Hoya released an album. Oscar! Uh, Grammy-winning uh, Oscar of, uh, I about that. of uh, classes. So there have <laughs> been some forays into music by boxing people uh, uh, from time to time. Right. So Ernie Terrell, the great, the late, great Ernie Terrell. His sister Tammy Terrell, of course, was, a, was with the uh, Supremes, and she was a great performer. She started out performing with Ernie in Chicago. He's a good guitar player, and hmm. uh, he had his own group as well. Really? Well, there you go. That's way more crossover I would have expected. Yeah, no, Ernie was actually very talented. He was a good, real good guitar player. And Tammy Terrell, his sister, was, was phenomenal. So they uh, they had that. I'm here to provide these important little nuggets. <laughs> wow. That's right. Same. <laughs> oh, see, that exactly is why you are a Hall of Famer number one and Showtime Boxing sometime fill-in host number two. Yeah, sometimes fill in post, but that's but that's a pretty important uh, uh, distinction I have. So I'm yeah, I'm happy to, I'm happy that that's on my resume. <laughs> we're happy to, and th- we're happy that you joined us uh, today. Thanks very much. I know you were traveling back from your show on Saturday, so it's really good of you to put a bit of time aside for us. And uh, it's always a pleasure, Al. Always an absolute delight to talk no to problem. you. No problem. I enjoy it, and you guys you guys know I enjoy listening. So uh, keep up the great work. Great. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Al. Take care. Bye bye.
All right. Great stuff there. Our thanks again to the one and only Al Bernstein. Uh, so we've previewed Friday's Showbox card. Otherwise, not a whole lot to look ahead to this weekend, but there are a couple of fights worth mentioning. In New York, Shakur Stevenson defends his featherweight belt against Miguel Mariaga on ESPN. And in Oxon Hill, Maryland, James Kirkland fights for the third time in seven months after a four-year absence from the ring as he takes on Marcos Hernandez on FS1. Kieran, any thoughts on either or both of these? Um, not going to get too invested in James Kirkland again, because... Who knows how long this particular comeback will last. Right. Um, but uh, Stevenson Mariaga, uh, I think that has the potential to be a pretty interesting fight, actually. Um, Stevenson's obviously the favorite, but Mariaga's a tough out. Um, you know, his only losses have been on points to Nicholas Walters, early-ish in his career, and Oscar Valdez, and a stoppage loss to Vasily Lomachenko a few years ago. Uh he can box reasonably well. He can hit hard, including to the body. Um, he had an impressive stoppage win over Ruben Severa last year, I think it was, not long after Severa uh, had taken Ruben via the distance. Um, but it looks as if you look at that record and you look at his outings and he appears, Mariaga, to be one of those guys who's very good, but not quite good enough to be at the top level, whereas Stevenson obviously seems to be one of the very best contenders out there right now anyway. And so in many respects, this is one of those fights where Shakur Stevenson is obviously fighting Miguel Mariaga, but he's also sort of fighting perception relative to Nicholas Walters, Oscar Valdez, Vasily Lomachenko. Um, you know, and frankly, if his ceiling is as high as it appears to be, and certainly if it's as high as Stevenson seems to feel it is. Right. Uh, he's going to want to be measuring himself, not even against Nicholas Walter's performance or even Oscar Valdez's performance, but Lomachenko's. And that makes it a pretty interesting fight for me, I think. Yeah, and I'll just add a quick word on the, the Kirkland fight, just uh, that it's crazy that it's been five years since Kirkland versus Canelo. Yeah. And, and he still has the name recognition to headline televised yeah. cards. Uh, so um, if he is able to make a little something of this comeback, uh, like you said, don't want to invest too much in it, but if he is able to, uh, hate to say it, but a big fight for James Kirkland might, uh, might not be too far off. I mean, he's fun when he has it together. Right. Right. Um, we all know his limitations, but... Uh, right. And we don't know at this point if he's capable of... Even if, even if he has it together, is he still capable of fighting at a indeed. top level? I, we'll see. But yeah, just that, that name value is ca carrying him along uh, through this comeback to this point. Yep. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, not too much happened in terms of major fights this past weekend. Uh, there are a few results of notes to touch on briefly. Uh, first of all, heavyweight action, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, where F.A. Ajagba remained undefeated with perhaps the best win of his young career. Uh, pretty much dominated Razvan Kujanu, uh, stopping him when Kujanu took a knee in the ninth round. Um, yeah, one moment Kujanu's talking to Ajagba, making it look like he wants to stay in there, and then he really decided he didn't want to. Um, in the main event of that card, uh, Adam Kanashki, uh fairly battered Robert Hellenius for three quite fast-paced rounds. Uh, and then right at the beginning of the fourth, Hellenius hurting him, 
seemingly putting him down twice, although the first one was ordered to slip um, before stopping him uh, standing up. Uh, Eric, how surprised were you by that main event result? And how impressed do you continue to be or otherwise by the progress of a Jagba? Hmm. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to accuse you of uh, quite burying the lead. Uh, but I think, I think you underemphasize the lead maybe there in that setup with sort of the, uh, Oh, by the way, type mention of Hellenius over Konatsky. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was clearly the, the, the chief headline coming out of the weekend. And it was a very fun fight saving a card that was, not at all fun to that point. Right. Uh, through the first two fights, it was justifying every heavyweight explosion joke that anyone made the last few weeks. But Hellenius Konatsky was a, a good little scrap, and uh, Hellenius was a 5-1 to one betting underdog, or e- even more in some places. So a meaningful result and upset. Interestingly, the non-knockdown call was a serious blow to Konatsky. Um, yes. Yeah, they, they, because... That was first of all. That was clearly a knockdown. You could see it in real time. The ref just missed it. But as a result, Konatsky got no time to recover. He yep. he really could have used 10, 12, 15 seconds there of the the usual uh, routine after you get knocked down. Um, but good job by Hellenius jumping on him and dropping him again and forcing the stoppage and. Hellenius fought pretty well the first three rounds. Also, in my view, he w- he wasn't winning the rounds, but. He was catching Konatsky coming in with the jab and having his moments and clearly knew how to time Konatsky and wasn't Mm. afraid of taking shots to land shots. You know, I assumed, mostly based on his getting stopped by Gerald Washington, that Hellenius was washed, but I guess he isn't quite. Um, And Konatsky, meanwhile, you know, he is what he is. He's a fun, aggressive fighter who I never thought was championship caliber, and anyone who did think that was getting carried away a bit uh but he's a credible fringe contender and so this was a tremendous win for Hellenius. revives his career i would say if only briefly until his next defeat it feels right. like one of those he's revived and it could go away after his next fight yep. um but as for ajagba yeah he looks solid and he, he boxed within himself and got some rounds in i'm a little worried about one bad habit when he throws left hands he falls into his right a little opening himself up for, for big overhand right counters. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, opponents are able to capitalize on that. But it's not easy because Ajagba uh, keeps the offense in your face and there's a lot to worry about if you're up against him. He's a work in progress. He does have the look, though, of a guy who should be a legitimate contender pretty soon, I would think. Yeah. Uh, only one other fight worth mentioning uh, in Manchester. A mild upset as Jono Carroll became the first man to stop Scott Quigg, winning every round of their 130-pound contest until Quigg trainer Joe Gallagher threw in the towel in the 11th. Afterward, Quigg said he would contemplate retirement. Kieran, did this look to you like a man at the end of his career? It did. Um, It really did. I mean, we were only recently discussing how easy it is to be premature in writing off Box's careers, you know, after Chocolatito Gonzalez um, beat the brakes off Kalia Five. Uh, so it's entirely possible, I guess, that Quig will take a better time and, and find more in him. Um, you know, Carol's style was exactly the kind that's caused Quig a bit of difficulty at times. A really nice combination of boxing and moving and firing off combinations. Um, but gosh, Quig really looked to be, you know, not just out for, out for, he had that classic look of a guy whose brain was telling him to do something and his body wasn't able to do it. Um, 
you know and he said as much afterwards he said he'd worked everything about fine in training but he just couldn't make it happen in the ring um and he said you know look if that's the case and this is too dangerous a sport to hang around in and make up the numbers so um you know he was very sort of gracious and very calm about it really he's been on quite a few tough fights at top level yeah uh, that fight with oscar valdez was an absolute barnstormer of course um it is boxing. Retirements tend not to last terribly long, but he certainly gave the air of being a man who was fairly philosophical about it um, and sensing that, well, you know what, if I can't make it happen in the ring, then maybe my time is up. A uh, few news items before we go, all related to fights that appear to have been made or at least reportedly on the verge of being made. Uh, first of all, although nothing has been announced or confirmed at time of recording, uh, multiple sources are now reporting that Canelo Alvarez is very close to agreeing to face Billy Joe Saunders in Las Vegas on May 2nd. Uh, Eric, when the chatter uh, a few weeks ago was that Canelo might meet Ryota Murata in Tokyo, I got quite excited, but you poo-pooed it and mm-hmm. predicted that he would instead be meeting Saunders in Vegas. Are you yet ready to smugly declare yourself vindicated. <laughs> I would add on top of that that when it seemed to be narrowed down to uh, Saunders and Callum Smith, I again said I would expect it to be Saunders of the two. So this is quite a triumph for me. Uh, if if I lose our picks competition in 2020, at least I'll have my read on the Canelo opponent shell game. Um, Saunders just always kind of seemed the most logical choice to me. But it ain't over till it's over. Canelo has flat out insisted directly that there's nothing to announce and reporters are jumping the gun. Uh, I expect that those reporters who are jumping the gun will be proven right, but you have to be careful with any report that says an unnamed source says a fight is coming. It's just not reliable. Uh, Eddie Hearn is also saying, quote, not yet. And... Dan Raphael, uh, people's mileage may vary on Dan, but he's always been a responsible reporter. He tweeted the other day, everyone wants to be first instead of accurate. So probably it will be Canelo Saunders to make me look smart, uh, but there's still a chance of Canelo versus someone else to make me look less smart. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> one contest that is now official for May 2nd is the co-main for the recently announced Dillian White-Alexander Povietkin clash in Manchester, England. And it's a doozy. Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano meet for all the belts in the women's lightweight division. Kieran, what's your level of excitement for this one? Uh, yeah, off the charts, actually. Yeah. Look, I mean, look, if, if Clarissa Shields, Layla Ali is potentially the biggest fight to be made in women's boxing, uh, uh, Taylor Serrano is surely the best, I think, right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Serrano's record, ridiculously good and, and deep. Uh, just the one loss in her long career. Um, and that one to Frida Wahlberg was was fairly controversial. Um, it's a measure of how good she is and how long she's been that good. That that one loss came in April 2012 in her 15th pro fight, uh, three months before Taylor carried the Irish flag in the opening ceremony at the 2012 Olympics and four years before Taylor even turned pro. Mm. Um, There has been a slight sense, uh, I think, from some folks that I've talked to in the UK, as good as Taylor has been, that maybe she hit her peak as a fighter, as an amateur. You know, she had that long and long uh, amateur career. Um, And, you know, and despite the fact that she's had a less extensive pro career than Serrano, she's actually a a little bit older than than Amanda. Um, A couple of years, I think. So it's possible that this may have just come a little bit too late for Katie Taylor. This might be there for Amanda Serrano right now, but it is a very even and very intriguing matchup and amazing that it's actually only the co-main, but this is a good card. So yeah, absolutely. 
Um, okay, so you've already noted that fights aren't official until they're, well, you know, official. Um, and, of course, as poor Otto Verlin repeatedly shows, uh, even then there's no guarantee they'll actually happen. Uh, case in point. Uh, as we reported recently, uh, David Benavides was apparently or reportedly set to face uh, Caleb Truax in a super middleweight title fight. But Truax apparently dropped out before the ink was dry and anything was announced. Uh, he has now been replaced by Roma, Alexis and Gulo. Um, that fight scheduled to take place in Phoenix on April 18th. Eric, what can you tell us about Angulo? And is he actually a little like the heavyweight fight on uh, Showtime that we talked about with Al earlier? Is he actually potentially a better opponent than Truax would have been? Yeah, you know, uh, all love to Truax, but uh, yeah, I, I think Angulo may be the stiffer test here. Um, he's not a young fighter. Uh, he, he turned pro at 26 and he's now 35. Uh, he's from Colombia, uh, currently based in Miami. Uh, his only loss is by decision against Zerto Ramirez. So certainly no shame in that. And just a few weeks ago, he upset unbeaten Anthony Sims Jr. by split decision. So he has done something recently to earn this shot. You know, Truax is the more familiar name and face, right. but Angulo does look to me to be the better opponent. Uh, hope you're not listening, Caleb. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're still better than him on Twitter, Caleb. I'll give you that. And, and your dog Tito is uh, cuter than Angulo's dog. Probably, I assume, if Angulo has a dog. I don't know. I didn't research that one, but Tito's very cute. So uh, if you're listening, Caleb, I hope that makes up for me uh, what I said earlier about Angulo perhaps being the stiffer test. Let me change the subject. Um, yes. Final item here. Uh, last week, we reported on Sergei Kovalev's DUI, and we reminded listeners that the Russian still faces legal trouble over a very serious allegation of assaulting a woman in Big Bear, California. But... This is boxing, and so Kovalev, while all this is swirling, will continue on with his career and get paid what one assumes will be a decent chunk of money to face fellow veteran Sullivan Barrera in what feels like a classic loser-leaves-town match. The 180-pound bout, yes, 180 pounds, I think uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. holds the lineal title at that weight. Uh, <laughs> the bout is slated for April 25th at Fantasy Springs in California to be streamed on Zone. Kieran... Any surprise at all that Kovalev is getting this fight in the midst of what appears to be mounting legal and life issues? No, as you said, it's boxing. Um, I, if I get the timeline right, um, he was first arrested uh, for the assault charge uh, prior to his first fight with editor Alvarez. Um, so that was already happening in the background, even though I don't think any or certainly not many people in the media knew about it. Um he was arraigned for that uh, between his second Alvarez fight and the Anthony Yard fight. So since he was first arrested, he's had four bouts, um, including the one against Canelo Alvarez. Um, and that's even despite some very detailed accusations recently emerging about the assault charge, uh, accusations which, if true, are, are really quite horrendous. Um, I guess the glass half full approach to looking at this is that these are, at this moment accusations and, that, and until and unless he's proven guilty he's an innocent man and he deserves the opportunity to make a living um the glass half empty way of looking at it is that everyone involved is cashing in as fast as they can before this gravy train is forcibly parked at the station um right. like i said it's boxing so i'm gonna go for the latter 
Yeah, it's uh, you can never look too foolish if you take the most skeptical viewpoint <laughs> when it comes to boxing. <laughs> exactly. All right, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thanks again to Al Bernstein uh, for joining us earlier. Uh, we will be back next week with our usual mix of fun, frivolity, and analysis. Until then, thanks for listening.